you can humble yourself and you can pray until you're blue in the face and you can seek the face of God. And if you do not repent, you will never experience revival and spiritual awakening. There is no revival where there is no repentance. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus, and I'm glad that you've joined us here today. We'll continue in our series, Awakenings, as Pastor Trent helps us to biblically identify one key element, something he calls the pivot point of revival. What is required of God's people in order to see a spiritual awakening in our lives, our churches, and our communities? Well, let's find out together. Here's Pastor Trent. We have been studying the biblical accounts of awakening. You've seen stories, you've heard reports of how this has happened in the past, and if you have any spider sense at all, you know it needs to happen again. All in favor of an awakening. So how does this happen? What is the common denominator? Well, we've seen a verse in Scripture that tells us there are four conditions of revival. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, a very familiar verse tells us, If my people who are called by my name will do these four things humble themselves. And we've seen a king in 2 Chronicles who humbled himself. His name was Rehoboam in 2 Chronicles 12. We studied how he humbled himself, and yet he stopped short of some of the other conditions. He prayed. We looked at a king who prayed. That's a condition of revival. That was King Jehoshaphat, and he prayed, Lord, we do not know what to do but our eyes are on you. We need to pray that same prayer if we want to meet God in awakening. And the third condition is seeking God's face. God invites us to seek him. Last week, we looked at a king in 2 Chronicles who sought the face of God. What was his name? Uh, We'll have to start over. What was his name? Josiah in chapter 34. We studied that passage. And then finally, the fourth condition of revival is turning from our wicked ways. The concept of turning in Scripture is the concept of repentance. And please hear me. You can humble yourself, and you can pray until you're blue in the face, and you can seek the face of God, and if you do not repent... You will never experience revival and spiritual awakening. There is no revival where there is no repentance. Repentance brings the change. Without repentance, any claim of revival will be short-lived and shallow emotional experience. We need to change when we seek the face of God. We need to change when we pray, and we need to change when we humble ourselves. We've seen this cycle throughout biblical history and even American history. We are supposed to be on 
mission and in worship, in love with Jesus Christ, and yet at times we become idolatrous and immoral and we decline. That inevitably invites the discipline and invites the judgment of God upon His church. And yet if we are wise in those moments, we will cry up to God in humility in confession of sin, in repentance, and God responds by sending revival to the church, spilling over into awakening in the community, getting us back in worship and back on mission with God. And that cycle happens over and over, and it certainly needs to happen again. So this morning, we're going to talk about the pivot point of revival, turning or repenting before the Lord. I'm calling us as a church to repent before God in brokenness and humility and in surrender. So let's give the concept of repentance a definition. Let's use this. Repentance is a turn away from sin and a turn to God after heartfelt sorrow over the pain that my sin is causing God, causing others, and causing me. Do you understand that when we sin, we bring pain to the heart of God? God loves us so much, He wants to shine Himself through our lives, and yet when we fall away or we deliberately disobey, that mars the glory of God. It, it causes pain and grief and sorrow. God is a personal God, and we can cause Him pain by our sin. Not only the pain we cause to God, but repentance happens when I realize the pain that my sin is causing others. I would venture to say in a crowd this size, there are people who are carrying a burden for you to repent because what you are doing is causing such pain and heartache in their lives. Children causing pain to parents, parents causing pain to children, and friends causing pain to other friends and neighbors. It causes pain. Stop the pain. Repent. And recognize the, the pain, recognize the pain that your sin is causing yourself. What you thought was going to bring joy and happiness and fulfillment when we sin and violate the Lord's command, we realize it brings nothing but sorrow and pain in the long run. How do you get rid of the pain? Repent. Repentance is the first word of the gospel. The reason I say that is because repentance was the first word of all of the Old Testament prophets. It was the first word of all of the apostles, and it was the first recorded word in Scripture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Where there is no repentance, there will be no revival. That's how important this concept is. Repentance is the way out of every ditch that you have slid into. Repentance is the way back from every wrong turn you've taken. And it is the way home after seasons of wandering and playing around and goofing off. God calls you back to Him in repentance. A lot of people make a mistake when they think about Christianity. They think Christianity is all about being good. If you want to be a good Christian, you should be good. That is not entirely accurate. If you want to be a good Christian, then be good 
at repenting. Being a Christian is not about never falling, never stumbling. We all fall in many ways. Being a Christian is about the ongoing process of repentance in my life. Every time God shows me a need, every time I wander away, God calls me back. If you want to be a good Christian, then get your PhD in repentance. It is something that will happen over and over in our life, not just to begin the Christian life, but an ongoing, never-ending process. In the 1970s, in Romania, Christians in that little country were under communist rule. They had a dictator there. His name was Nicolae Ceausescu, who made life miserable for all of the citizens in Romania, but especially for Christians. The Christians in that little country were mocked and harassed, and one of the things that people did, the communists did, was they gave them a name. It was actually a derogatory name. The name that they were given as Christians was this. They were known as the repenters. Not a bad name, but it was used in a mocking sense when it referred to the Christians. I had the opportunity of going to Romania in 1991 two years after the fall of communism, two years after the removal of Nicolae Ceausescu, and two years after an incredible revival in the church that actually led to the revolution in that country. Um, When I was there, I took this picture. The man in the middle is the 24-year-old version of me. The man on the left is Dr. Adrian Rogers. He was my pastor when I was in seminary in Memphis, Tennessee. I was on staff as an intern there, and, and uh, we went together uh, with like 300 people to Romania. We kind of invaded Romania, and we did some mass evangelism, and they weren't coming to hear me preach. They were coming to hear Dr. Rogers preach, and, and I got to share my testimony before he preached and, and all of that. But the man on the right is a man named Joseph Sohn. Joseph Sohn was the pastor in the 1970s and 80s and 90s of Second Baptist Church in Aradia, Romania. Historians have traced the fall of communism in Romania back to a revival that took place in the church where Joseph Sohn one day stood and made this statement, it's time for the repenters to repent. The Christians were known as repenters. One day he stood up and said, you know, the reason that we don't have revolution is because we don't have revival. And if we're going to see anything spill over into the culture as an awakening, it's got to start in the church. We've got to stop being bitter. We've got to stop being angry. We need to clear our debts. We need to make sure that we are expressing the love of Christ, even to those who treat us harmfully. And so he called the repenters to repent. I think that is still a very good statement. And today, I'm echoing the words of Dr. Joseph Sohn. It is time for the repenters to repent. And so here's the first point of the message. A repenter sees the need for repair. Get your Bibles open to 2 Chronicles chapter 29. In 2 Chronicles chapter 29, we're going to be introduced to our fourth king that's going to show us what it looks like to turn, to repent, and his name is 
Hezekiah. Everybody say, Hezekiah. It begins, the story begins in 2 Chronicles 29, beginning in verse 3. Look at it. It says, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Now, first of all, I want you to notice, he didn't waste any time. In the first year and the first month, he went after the thing that they needed the most, access to the place of worship. The reason why those doors needed to be open is because the previous generation had shut the doors. Apparently, there wasn't a whole lot of demand for a place of worship because the worship was so pathetic. And so they shut the doors for lack of interest. They shut God out of their lives. And in order for them to repent, those doors needed to be flung open. Now, those doors had been closed for decades. Can you imagine what those doors would have sounded like when he opened the doors? rusted hinges, door probably falling off. He had to spend some time repairing the doors, opening the doors. That is a very important process for us if we're going to experience revival. We must repair what has been neglected in our worship. Not only our public worship, not just what we do in the four walls of this church, but what we do in our private daily lives, every decision, understanding that I am always in the presence of God, that He always demands my worship in every act of my life, whether it's changing a diaper or changing the calipers on your car, can be an act of worship to God when I understand that I am always in His presence. I must repair what's been neglected. Maybe you've neglected write thoughts about God. Maybe you've neglected Bible reading. Maybe you've neglected loving your wife. Is it your marriage that needs to be repaired? Is it your heart, your mind that needs to be repaired because you filled it up with so much junk? Not only to be repaired, look at verse 4. He brought in the priest and the Levites. Now, I don't know what they'd been doing. The doors had been shut. I don't know if they'd been playing golf or I don't know, but they, they weren't busy. He brought in the priest and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now consecrate yourself and consecrate this house to the Lord, the God of your fathers. And he says, carry out the filth. Would you just underline that phrase? Carry out the filth from the holy place. How many of you took me seriously on my project? You grabbed a trash bag and you grabbed a kid and gave him a trash bag and you went through your house and you purged some things out of your house that were distracting you from worship. Anybody take me seriously on that? Okay, I'll give you that assignment again since none of you took me seriously on that. Carry out the filth. What is it in your home, in your DVD collection, on your iPhone, iPod, in your Netflix account that is filth? Now, think about this scenario here. There was a, an ornate, elaborate temple that was the place of worship. How did the filth get in there? Someone at some point must have thought, oh, here's, 
here's a thing. We don't know what the thing was. Maybe it was a candle or a statue or um, some, something elaborate, something beautiful. And they well, well, that thing, that, that thing's a good thing. That thing will help us worship. And so somebody was so upside down in their view of God's holiness, they thought that that thing would actually be helpful in their worship. And so they carried this filthy thing in. In order for that to happen, someone had to rationalize in their mind that what God called filth was something that was actually beautiful. That's what you do when you sin. You look at something and say, I think I, that's, that's a good thing. And so you involve yourself in it, or you begin to think that, or you take that action, you take that turn, thinking that's a good thing. And so repentance is actually changing your mind about the rationalization that caused you to call something good what God called filth. And repentance is carrying out the filth. In Romania, we actually have about seven Harvest Bible chapels. But in Romania, we don't call them harvest because for some reason in the Romanian language, the word harvest doesn't really translate well and it wouldn't make any sense to people. And so in Romania, we call our Harvest Bible chapels over there metanoia. Metanoia is the Greek word for repentance because the repenters must repent. It means to change your mind, which leads to a change in direction, a U-turn. And so repentance is removing the rationalization in my mind that led me to sin. It's detecting and destroying every rationalization that leads me to sin. Then look over at verse 6. For our fathers have been unfaithful. You, you may actually say the same thing about your father. You love him, you respect him, you want to honor him, but in all honestly, honesty, your father's been unfaithful. But like we said last week, you can't choose your heritage, but you can choose your legacy. God forbid that our children would make that statement about the fathers in this room. Our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and have turned their and they have turned away their faces. There it is, turned. They've turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned, there it is again, they've turned their backs on God. So God calls us to seek His face. Johnny, can you throw me that basketball? Thank you. Now, if you've got a room full of third graders and you're trying to talk to them about repentance, how do you communicate that concept? Well, let me just share with you what I did. Um, I got a basketball, and I it was the day after the Warriors had won the NBA championship over the greatest player on the planet or something. And uh, anyway, I, I, 
I, I had my basketball and, and I just started dribbling. And I called a little kid up here and I said, what am I doing right now? What is this activity? And he said, what do you think he said? Dribbling, because he was a smart kid, but he wasn't a theologically astute kid because actually what I was doing, do you know what this basketball is doing? This basketball is repenting. What is repenting? Repenting is turning. Repenting is a change of direction. And you see, when I throw the basketball down, it has one force acting on it. When it hits the ground, what does the ball do? It repents. It turns around and it comes back. If you're going to be a good basketball player, you also not only need to learn how to dribble, but you also need to know how to pivot. Do you know what pivoting is? It's when you're dribbling the ball down the court and you see an enemy basketball player coming at you. And you realize, if I keep going, I'm going to have the ball stolen from me. And so one of the things that you have to do, according to the rules of basketball, so that you don't travel, is you have to establish a pivot foot. And if you establish your pivot foot, then you can turn. Do you know what repentance is? Repentance is pivoting. It is turning your face away from sin and toward God. It's turning your face toward God and your back on sin. Do you know what sin is? It's when you turn your face toward sin and your back toward God. A repenter sees the need for repair. Here's the second thing. A repenter heeds the call to return. Now, we're going to skip to the next chapter here. There's a lot of information about what happened. We're just going to kind of highlight some verse here. Look over at chapter 30 and look in verse 6. So couriers went out throughout all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his princes. What do you think was in those letters? I think I know at least one word. Repent! That was was within the letter. By the way, if I only had like 15 seconds to preach a message... It would be something like this. Open your Bible. Repent! You are loved. (laughs) That would be it, okay? So the letters from the king went from his princes, and the king had commanded, saying, O people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may... Turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do you know what God does when you pivot to Him? He pivots to you. If you return to Him, the promise is He will return to you. Verse 7, Do not be like your fathers and your brothers, who were faithless to the Lord God of their fathers, so that He made them a desolation as you see. Do not now be stiff-necked as your fathers. Do you know what a stiff neck is? That's a neck that won't bow. God's given you some very concentrated muscles there in your neck. And it's almost impossible for somebody to force you to bow. If you have a stiff neck, 
don't be like that. Don't be that guy. You don't want to have a stiff neck. And so he says in verse 8, Do not be now stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourself to the Lord and come to His sanctuary, which He has consecrated forever and serve the Lord your God, that His fierce anger may what? Turn away from you. But, but I thought God loves me. He does love you. That's why your sin makes him so angry. You have kids? You love them? When they sin, do you get angry? Yeah, because you know they're capable of so much more. The anger of God is a very real thing. And when you turn your back on God and turn your face towards sin, you anger the heart of God. And that's what they had done. That's what their fathers had done. Look at the next verse. Look at verse 9. And if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children will find compassion with their captors and return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away His face from you if you return to Him. Do you understand that the gracious gift of God is repentance? The fact that an angry God would actually give you the opportunity to repent requires grace and mercy. It is a gracious and merciful God that will turn His anger away from you if you repent. The anger does not disappear. The anger of God doesn't just poof and He doesn't act like, okay, I'll pretend like you didn't sin. The anger of God has to be diverted from you somewhere else. Do you know what God does when He turns His anger away from you? Do you know where He turns it? The cross. If you want to see a picture of the anger of God, get a picture of Jesus on the cross. Because Jesus absorbed the anger of God for all who would repent and believe. The anger of God diverted from me to Jesus is the gospel that gives me every opportunity to repent in this lifetime. But please hear me. If you will not repent, you will experience all of the anger and the wrath and the hatred of God on you forever in hell. And yet this gracious, merciful God is calling you to turn your face toward Him and turn your back on sin. Will you do it? What are you waiting for? You're waiting for a better offer? Our God is so gracious and generous to turn His anger towards sin away from those who repent. On the cross, Jesus Christ absorbed God's wrath 
and paid the price for the sin of all who would believe. There is no better offer for salvation. Well, we've been listening to Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. If you'd like to visit us, there are three service times that you can choose from, Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We're not too far from University Park Mall on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger, Indiana. Well, I hope you'll join us again next week at this same time as Pastor Trent concludes his message on repentance. I'm Aaron Paulus, praying that God's word would resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.